At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. My wife, uh, Chelsea, and I often go jogging uh, through our neighborhood. Uh, For the record, I do not like running, and neither does she. I believe that people who actually enjoy exercise through running are deeply mentally disturbed. I believe you should only run when something is on fire or you're being chased by someone scary, but nevertheless, uh, we go running three to four times a week. Uh, Recently, as we were jogging along, there was a lady in our neighborhood, and she was set on her porch, and um, as we went jogging by, she yelled out, hey, hello, good to see you. And I thought, mind your own business. Um, Now, despite my introversion, it was a bit weird because we live in a neighborhood where it's, the houses are kind of set back on the lots, and there's like trees on either side, and we've actually tried to get to know our neighbors, but it's just kind of a difficult neighborhood to kind of meet people and talk to people. And so it it was a bit strange that she was talking to us. Uh, And so we, you know, of course, you know, hey, how are you? And we just kept on doing our thing. This lady gets in her car and drives down the driveway and drives to where we are jogging, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, hide the kids. Like, what, what is this crazy lady doing? And so she rolls down the window and she says, hey, it's good to see you again. I thought, (laughs) The last time we saw you wasn't that long ago. Uh, And and so she says, it's good to see you again. And she says, your singing last night really blessed me. I said, okay. So at this point, like you guys are, I was very confused about what was happening. After she makes this statement, I'm kind of stunned and just kind of standing there. And I went, okay. And the conversation quickly moved to small talk, the weather, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, We had Tally, uh, our youngest daughter, in a jogging stroller, and Tally speaks up. And so the lady starts commenting on how cute Tally is. And by this time, it's clicked in my mind, this lady has no idea who I am or who we are. She thinks we're someone else, apparently someone who sang very wonderfully and blessed her apparently last night. And so as the conversation about in, in the midst of small talk kind of diverts back to, she realizes we're trying to like jog and exercise. And she says, well, I, I'll let you guys go. I just wanted to stop and tell you again, you know, how great the this, this singing was. And so I kind of like try to be nice and explain to her who we are. 
so that she might get the clue that we're not who she thinks we are. And so I said, you know, yeah, we just recently moved to the neighborhood about two years ago. We moved here to, you know, plant a church. And, you know, so I'm just kind of explaining who we are. Um, and it's still, she's just smiling and nodding her head, you know, just like still has no idea who we are. Um, you know, again, she, she mentions the, the church that she was at and, and hopes that we'll come back and sing again at her church. And so finally, I just had to say, okay, um, I'm not who you think I am. And she was like, what? And so I explained to her, I did no singing last night that I'm aware of anyway. Um, I'm glad you were blessed by someone singing, but it was certainly not me. I did no singing of the sort last night. Uh, and, and so she, she then, you know, was embarrassed and explained, you know, my husband and I, we were at a, a local church and there was this singing. And apparently this poor fellow looks just like me. And um, so she was confused uh, about the situation and thought that I was him. And, and apparently this guy also lives in the neighborhood. So there's, you know, again, some poor fellow that looks like me that also lives in my neighborhood. And, and so she was totally confused uh, about the whole thing. And apparently so was I. Here's my point. Cases of mistaken identity usually end bad. Right? Have you ever thought someone was someone else and it turned out not to be that person? Cases of mistaken identity usually end bad. Maybe some of you have had your identity stolen. Uh, a few years back, the church had its, its identity stolen, and someone was, like, buying $300 shoes in Las Vegas, you know, and our bank called us. Hey, are you buying? Like, no, we're not buying $300 shoes in Las Vegas. And, and, you know, apparently what had happened was someone stole our identity, and the bank thought, like that person was us when it wasn't us and they figured out it wasn't us and they called us and it was this whole case of mistaken identity. I bring all of that up because today in our text, we have the most monumental case of mistaken identity. There, there are several different groups of people who are looking at Jesus. They're, they're, they're staring at this first century Galilean peasant, and they have no idea who he is. It is a case of mistaken identity. The, the people are looking at Jesus, and what they see is a great communicator. What they see is a miracle worker. Uh, what they see is possibly a revolutionary. The religious leaders are looking at Jesus, and here's what they see. The religious leaders see a rebel. The religious leaders see somebody who who is uneducated, who doesn't have the right credentials. The religious leaders see somebody who is a threat to them. The, the Roman government it looks at Jesus and they see someone who is an insurrectionist, someone who is a troublemaker. All the people around Jesus are looking at Jesus and it's a case of mistaken identity. They don't know who he is. This is the biggest issue. And here's what I want you to write down this morning. Jesus has gone through painstaking measures so that you might discover his true identity. Painstaking measures. This is what Jesus has done. He has gone through painstaking measures so that you might know who he is. Friends, we, we are not owed this. God doesn't owe us to tell us who he is. But Jesus goes through painstaking measures so that you might know who he is. You see, God orchestrated all of human history to tell his story 
and to fulfill prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. All throughout the Old Testament, what God is doing is orchestrating all of history to reveal himself to us. Not only does he orchestrate all of human history and all throughout the Old Testament to reveal himself to us, in addition, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus stepped out of his high and his heavenly place with the angels in heaven away from his father to come down to be where we are so that we could discover who he is. In addition, Jesus performs miracles, many miracles that show us that he has the power over disease, over nature, and over death to reveal to us and show to us who he is so that we would not have this terrible case of mistaken identity. And lastly, finally, Jesus defeats death through his resurrection so that we might know who he is. He preserves all of that in the Holy Scriptures that you have either on your smartphone or sitting in your lap right now just so that you might know who he is. This is amazing news. This is great news because who God is has been revealed to us, much to the agnostic's chagrin, the, the agnostic who says you can't know God, it's impossible to know God. Nope, Jesus has revealed who God is. To the atheist that says God doesn't exist, nope, God has shown himself to us to be real and to be true, and we can know who God is. It is clear that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the just and the one who justifies. In addition, God is the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the one who came to take away the sins of the world. He is the one who is and the one who is to come, the Creator, the Liberator, fully God, fully man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He has shown himself to us, and so there is no need to struggle with a case of mistaken identity. It's so clear. It's so clear. Jesus has done so much to show us. He wants us to see. He wants us to see who he is. And so why? Why has Jesus done so much? Why has God done so much to reveal himself to us? Why, why is there this desperation in the heart of God that we might know him, see him for who he is. John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus wants us to know him because he is the truth. And when we know the truth, that is him, we are set free. Jesus does all of this to reveal himself to us because we are captives who need to be set free. And so Jesus does all of this work, showing himself, revealing himself to us so that we might know him and be set free. So here's my goal for this morning as we work through this text. May we know who Jesus is when you know Jesus, because when you know who Jesus is, you will be set free. May we know who Jesus is. We, we, we need to know him. We need to see him. All these people were standing around looking at him with all these preconceived notions about who Christ was and what he had come to do and who the Messiah was, and they had already mapped out what he was supposed to do. Has anyone ever mapped out what God's supposed to do in your life? <laughs> That's exactly what they had done. They had made their own plan. They had drawn the map. You're going to go down this road. You're going to turn left. And you go up this way. And then finally, boom, I'll be at the destination that I want to be. So just take this chart. 
right? Go this course, God. This is what I've mapped out for you to do. That's exactly what they had done. And they had taken God, they had taken this idea of Christ and Messiah, and they had pushed it into their own context and into what they wanted to see and refused to open up their eyes and see the reality of who God really was. And we often, often do the same thing. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 12. We have been um, plodding along through chapter 12. We've been many, many sermons uh, in this chapter, and um, we won't get out of chapter 12 uh, this week either. We've got a little bit more work to do. We're going to be beginning in verse 35. If you've been with us, Jesus has been caught up in this sparring match. This verbal sparring match, back and forth, back and forth with these different groups, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians, they've all come up with the best questions they could come up with. They've presented these questions to Jesus for very clear and uh, obvious reasons. They want to discredit Jesus. Um, They want to trip him up. They want him to incriminate himself so that they might have opportunity to kill him or have him killed by the Roman government. You see, Jesus is gaining too much fame. Jesus is gaining too much authority, uh, and this really bothers these guys because all the fame and authority was theirs, and then here comes along this untrained, uneducated Galilean peasant, right? Uh, He doesn't come from the best family. He doesn't come from the best schools. He's not wealthy, and yet here he is captivating the minds and the hearts of all the people. Well, this is very troublesome for the religious establishment, and so they're trying desperately to get this guy out of the way, and the best way they know how is to humiliate him on the public square, okay? The public square in that day would have been the temple in Jerusalem, and so there they are coming up with the best questions they could possibly ask, and so they're firing away question after question after question, and if you look at the end of our text last week at verse 34, you'll see the very last line in verse 34 says this, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. These religious leaders had stepped into the ring with the heavyweight and left very disappointed. They were done asking questions. They had no more questions to ask. Jesus had shot down all of their questions and had masterfully maneuvered around all of their objections and all of their questions. So their time for question and answer is over, and now it is Jesus who has the question. The, the, the shoe is now on the other foot, and it's no longer time for them to ask questions, for them to try to discredit him. Rather, Jesus is going to ask a question of the crowd. He's going to ask a question of the scribes, um, essentially to reveal who he is. This is what Jesus is driving after. That's the whole point of what Jesus is going to say. We're going to look at these questions that Jesus asked, and they're a bit confusing. They're a bit confusing. But behind all the questions that Jesus asks here, what he's getting after, he wants you to know who he is. That's the point. That's the point. You see, it's down to the wire. In just 72 short hours, Jesus will be dead. With his impending execution, the amount of time left that he has to teach is narrowing. So naturally, he is going to ask the very most important questions that he has, right? So, so when, you, when you leave the house, you, uh, you say the most important things. You leave the house, the last thing you say to your spouse or to, to whoever's there, you say, I love you. Or, or, you know, don't forget this. We've got to do this. You, you kind of give the most important bullet points, and then you say, I love you, and you leave. 
because you have no more time left. And so you leave the very most important things till the end. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's getting after the heart of it, the most important question that he could ask. So here's the question, verse 35. Please follow along. And Jesus taught in the temple and said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Interesting question. How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, we've already talked about who the scribes were, so we're not, we talked about that last week. We're not going to um, spend too much time on it. Essentially, the scribes were the teachers uh, of the law. Uh, these guys were sort of like professors, lawyers, and pastors all wrapped into one. That's who the, the scribes were. And these scribes were teaching that the Messiah or the Christ, okay, so those words can be used synonymously, they were teaching that the Messiah or the Christ was going to be from the lineage of David. So, so the, the Christ or the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. That's what the scribes were teaching. Again, for our 21st century Western ears, this is a very odd question. Right? He, he's got next to no time left. He's, he's got a question he wants to ask. He's been, been asked questions all day. He's there, that's, that part's done. Now it's time for Jesus to ask questions, and this is the one that Jesus comes up with. It's kind of off. It feels strange for us. Instead of getting into a deep theological debate, there are better questions maybe that Jesus could have asked, right? He, uh, maybe Jesus could have asked, uh, are you ready to accept me into your heart? No, he goes on about uh, some question about David. Um, Jesus could have asked, are you ready to give your whole life to me? You know, after all, I'm going to die for you. No, he asked some strange question about the lineage of David. What, what gives here? You see, when Jesus asked this question, it comes with a ton of theological and historical background uh, that us Westerners really don't know. And, and so what we must do is dive into this idea or the concept of the lineage of David, the, the son of David, and the Christ or the Messiah. And so uh, if you are a power note taker, you want to win all of the note taking competitions, you can take these down. These will not come up on the screen. That's why I say they're extra powerful notes. Here we go. Number one, these people were looking for the Christ. That's what these people were doing. They were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Christ. It was intrinsic, inherent in that culture. They were all searching. They were all looking for a Christ. Now, for the record, Christ is not a name it's a title. Okay, so, so it's not, you know, Joseph uh, Christ and Mary Christ and, you know, little Jesus Christ. This, it's not a name, okay? This, this is a title. Christ or Messiah uh, is a title. So if you're speaking to a predominantly Roman uh, uh, or, or Gentile audience, you would use Christ. If you were speaking to a Jewish audience, you would use Messiah. But again, those words can be used interchangeably. So Christ is not a name, Christ is a title. The literal rendering of the Christ or Messiah means the anointed one, the anointed one. Uh, so in the Old Testament, here's, here's what would happen. You guys still with me? Everybody still awake? In the Old Testament, when someone would take on an office, an official office, that would be the office of prophet, the, the office of priest, or the office of king, it would be a, a public ceremony where they were literally anointed with oil. So when they brought in the new king, uh, they, they would set him in front of all the people. They would take this big horn of oil. They would say, today we institute, you know, king so-and-so. Boom, dump some oil on his head. 
Or, or when a priest came into office, they would say, today, we, you know, here, here is uh, Priest Bob. You know, and they would, boom, pour some oil on his head. So, so these offices, these three offices, prophet, priest, and king, all came with this ceremony where there was the anointing of oil. In, in, in our day, um, you know, they would, they, would say, they would swear you in. You know, they, you place your hand on the Bible, you know, so on and so forth. But in that day, they anointed them with oil. So this Christ or this Messiah was essentially the ultimate anointed one of all of these offices. The Christ or the Messiah was the prophet, the priest, and the king, right? The one, the, the one on top of the deck. So number one, they were looking for the Christ. Number two, they were looking for him to come and do something very specific, these people knew that Christ was coming. They knew that Messiah was on the way, and they were looking for him to do something very, very specific. They, they had this picture in their mind, and specifically the picture they had in their mind was the Christ was going to deliver them. Remember, the, the crowd had already tried to take Jesus by force and make him their king. You guys remember that? Uh, he fed all of them. He taught this great sermon. They're looking at all the people who have gathered. I mean, thousands and thousands of people have come to see Jesus, to hear him teach, and then he feeds everybody. And they're like, this guy could lead the whole thing. He, he could lead the revolution against the Roman government, the people who are oppressing us. So let's appoint, this guy is king. Let's go get him. We're gonna make him king, and he's gonna get these Roman dogs out of our sacred land. So they had this thing in their mind that they wanted him to do, which was to deliver them. And third, for you A-type personality note takers, third, they were looking for specific markers to identify him as the Christ or Messiah. They were looking for specific markers. Okay, so, so it wasn't just anybody. It had to be a specific guy, and there were things that were going to reveal that he was the Christ. And, and these things were coming from the Bible. Just let, let's look at 2 Samuel 7.12. Listen to this. I mean, again, this is way back in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 says this. When your days are fulfilled. This is, this is the word of the Lord to King David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. God says to David, there's going to be somebody. He's going to come from your body. What does that mean? He's going to be his descendant, right? And God is going to establish this guy's kingdom, the descendant of David's kingdom. He's going to establish that kingdom. Again, this was prophesied way back in 2 Samuel 7, 12. This was the kingdom, meaning the kingdom of Israel, meaning the kingdom of heaven, meaning God's forever kingdom. So to them, it was very clear. The Christ or the Messiah will come as a warrior king, and this warrior king will destroy the Roman government and set up the kingdom of Jerusalem right there in Israel. It was so clear to them. Warrior king, he's on his way. Friends, this is the upside-down way of Jesus. Jesus does not come as a warrior king, does he? He doesn't ride into Jerusalem on a massive war horse. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. You see, this is what makes Jesus so radically different than all other religious leaders. 
Did you know that when Muhammad rode into Mecca, he rode in on a giant war horse with other armed horsemen and armed foot soldiers, and they took their army, this Islamic army, and they marched into Mecca. That's historical fact. Go back and look at it yourself. And you see this drastic difference in Muhammad and Christ as Christ doesn't ride in with swords and a giant war horse and armed horsemen and armed foot soldiers. Jesus rides in on a donkey's colt with 12 bumbling guys who can't seem to get it together or even know really who he is. They argue amongst themselves and they really can't get anything right. He rides in as as people wave palm branches. So the idea of Jesus' identity for these people couldn't be more wrong. The problem with this culture, the problem with uh, the, the, in first century Palestine was their tradition, not the word of God, distorted the identity of the Messiah. Their tradition distorted the identity of the Messiah. They couldn't see. They were waiting for warrior king. Friends, let me tell you this. If you're taking notes, you can jot this one down. This one will come up on the screen. One of the greatest problems with the church in the South is that the true identity of Jesus has been distorted by religious tradition. See, we are just like them. We can't look at them and say, what were they thinking? I mean, obviously it's Jesus. Come on, get it together, guys. I mean, we would have known, if we would have been standing there in that crowd, we would have been, you know, standing there right with Jesus going, what are you guys thinking? That's that... The reality is we have done the exact same thing. We have taken our tradition um, and distorted this idea of who Jesus is. You see, we've distorted the idea because what Christianity in the South or Christian church culture has done is said, Jesus approves and likes people who look good on the outside and have it all together on the inside. That's the rule, right? Jesus likes those who have it all together on the outside and have it all together on the inside. Jesus likes good people. So be a good person and Jesus will like you. That's that. I mean, we find people in the church who look good, who talk well and, and have it all together, and we promote those people in leadership, and we parade those people across the front of the stage. And, and when people actually do screw up, we you know, just kind of push it off to the side and don't actually talk about it. That is tradition distorting the reality of Jesus' identity. Jesus came to help, to heal, and to save broken people. If the church isn't full of broken people, if we're not honest that we're a church full of broken people, then it actually distorts the identity of Jesus. If we're not willing to stand up and say, I don't have it together, I, half the time I have no idea what I'm doing, right? I'm, I'm trying to work through this life as best I can, relying on Jesus' grace, and I'm constantly calling out to him for help. If we don't say that, then we distort the true identity of Christ. If we, it, listen, and, and this, this goes for, as you, as you witness to your friends and your family members, if, if you portray Christianity as a group of people who have it all together, the world wants nothing to do with that. I mean, some of you guys are my age in the room, or my age, younger. You, you, you see that our generation has walked away from the church in droves. Why? Because the church presented itself as a country club of people who have it all together. And our generation wanted nothing of that. They wanted nothing of that. So I say again, one of the greatest problems with the church in the South 
is the identity of Jesus has been distorted by religious tradition. Now, that's the historical context, okay? Let's jump back into verse 36. So the question that's on the table from verse 35 is, is this. How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, when I read that question, verse 35, I was kind of sheepish to answer it because I wasn't really sure what the answer was. Good thing is, Jesus answers it for us. So you don't have to rely on me to answer it. Verse 36, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus asks a question and then answers the question for us. The answer that he gives is David himself in the Holy Spirit declared. Now, I wanted to preach a whole sermon on just that before we actually get to it. But let me just say this. Um, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament because the Old Testament is the word of God. Jesus believed in the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus believed that the scriptures are inerrant, true, and right. So what Jesus begins with is he says, David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, um, it, your Bible should kind of have that little section set off and kind of scrunched in. Anytime you see that, what that is, it's a quotation from the Old Testament. Okay, so, so we can know, um, by the way this is set up, that, that he's quoting Scripture here. Jesus is quoting Psalm 110. Now, Psalm 110 is quoted or referenced in the New Testament 33 times. 33 times in the New Testament, this Old Testament scripture is referenced. Why? Well, because it points to the true identity of Jesus. David is referring to another Lord. Again, let's, let's dissect this little section. The Lord said to my Lord. So this is David speaking from the Psalms. The Lord said to my Lord. What in the world does that mean? Again, David is referring to another Lord. There is supposed to be one God, right? There's one God. So how can David be referring to two Lords? Are we now monotheistic? No, that is the incorrect answer. See, the Trinity is alluded to in the Old Testament, but never clearly shown until the New Testament. Here, Jesus is teaching about it. Another way to say this text, or another way to view this text would be this. God the Father said to God the Son, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. That, that's what it's, it's alluding to here. That's what David is saying. The Lord said to my Lord. God the Father said to God the Son. This, this is opening up for us this idea of the Trinitarian Godhead showing that from eternity past, Father, Son, and Spirit have existed in this beautiful and divine relationship. Jesus is calling on the Old Testament scriptures to talk about himself. Friends, what that means is Jesus is on every page all throughout the scriptures. 
We don't have to wait till Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John comes in to actually see Jesus, to know the identity of Jesus. This has been unfolded for us from, from Genesis all the way through the end, all the way through the minor prophets to Malachi, all the way to the end. And, and it's shown for us very clearly in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the way to Revelation. All of the Bible tells the story of Christ. It reveals his true identity. And this is great, great news. So Jesus, again, is building these series of questions. So he asks a question in verse 35. He quotes his scripture in 36. And he sums up these questions in 37. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? That's the question. Jesus is building this argument. It goes something like this. Hey, you know the scribes? They say that the Messiah or the Christ is going to be David's son. Well, here's my question to the scribes. If the Messiah is David's son, why does David call him Lord? That seems to not fit. That's his question. See how the question is kind of not working together? Because if, if the, the Messiah is David's son, then David should be called Lord, not his son. There is a hierarchy um, that, that is supposed to be happening here. To be sure, listen to me very carefully, Jesus' question does not deny that the Messiah comes from the line of David. We just saw that in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verse 12, did we not? So to be clear, Jesus' question does not deny that the Messiah comes from the line of David. What Jesus' question implies is another question. The next question is this, is that all that he is? Is the Messiah only a human descendant of David? That's the question that, that this question implies. Just a human descendant, or is he more? You see, if the Christ is merely a human descendant of David, then David would never call him Lord. See, my, my dad is in the room, and we have worked together a lot. We, we still do. Um, I'm, you know, getting a little faster He's getting a little slower. Uh, I'm getting a little smarter, and he, uh, never mind. But um, even though those things are true, and when we work together, listen, he's still the boss. He is still Cowboy Greg in charge, right? He, he is still the Lord. Makes sense? So, so I am his descendant. I'm his son. When we work together, there's no point to where all of a sudden I'm the boss. That's not how the hierarchy works. That would be inappropriate, right? No, he's the one that tells us what to do, and we say, yes, sir. Okay? So even though he is older, he can still whoop us, and we know that, and we know that. So, again, this is showing this hierarchy that David cannot call his descendant Lord. So... For a people, for a Jewish community who respected their elders much more than we do in our world and our culture, it would be crazy for David to call his descendant Lord. So what's the answer? Listen to this. The Christ or the Messiah cannot be David's Lord unless he is God. That's the only way. This is Jesus' whole argument. The only way that David can call his descendant Lord is if his descendant is God. 
That's, that's the only way. So if you're taking notes, Jesus gives a methodical and theological explanation showing that the Christ is also God. They were wanting a human, a man with a sword that could lead a military revolution against Rome. That's who they wanted the Messiah to be. And Jesus reveals that's not who the Messiah is. The Messiah has not come with the sword and with an army to overthrow the Roman government. The Messiah is God. The Christ is God. And Jesus here is claiming not only to be the Christ, the Messiah, he's claiming to be God. So for all of those people who say Jesus never said he was God, it's clear from this text, Jesus is claiming Messiahship, Christhood, and divinity. And divinity. Again, why does Jesus ask a question and just give them the answer, why is Jesus so concerned that they know who he is? He's gone through this whole thing. He's answered all their questions. He's put all their questions aside, and he said, now I've got a question for you. He asked the question, how can this be? Well, it can only be if the Christ is also God. He has made it plain. He has made it clear. So why has he gone through so much trouble so that they might know who he is? He has gone through all of this trouble because they need to know who Jesus is so that they can be saved. The reason that we need to know the identity of the Savior is because we are the ones who need to be saved. Friends, I wonder if you think about yourself that way. I wonder if you think about yourself as a person who needs to be saved. As a person who, who is broken, who has messed up, who has screwed up, and you're realizing, um, here's the marker, and I'm somewhere way down here. And I'm going to be held account for what I've done, the things I've said, and I need redemption. I need to be saved. Would someone point me in the direction of a Savior? This is why Jesus has revealed himself to us so that we might know who he is. I'll close with this. Look back at verse 34. I talked about this question haunting me last week, or this statement that Jesus makes haunting me last week. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Last week I said, I said that question haunted me because, because Jesus is talking to this very religious guy and he says to him, you're not far from the kingdom. So what does that mean? Well, it means he's not in the kingdom yet. Why is he not in the kingdom? And so the next thing that happens in the text in chapter 12 is he tells this guy, you're not far from the kingdom. And then he makes this step and says, I am the Christ and the Christ is God. This guy who, who Jesus says this about, he was humble. How do we know that this guy was humble? Well, because in the text, um, he asked Jesus questions. The guy that Jesus says you're not far from the kingdom about was humble because he went to ask Jesus questions. He, he was very righteous and religious. Um, he, he was probably more moral than you or I, yet he was not in the kingdom. What is the dividing line between those who are in the kingdom and those who are not in the kingdom? The declaration that Jesus is the Christ and is God. This guy was humble, this guy was moral, this guy was religious, yet he was not willing 
to say that Jesus was the Christ and was God, and therefore he was only close to the kingdom, he was not in the kingdom. And so friends, I want to ask you this morning, what do you say about Jesus? What do you say about Jesus? Is he just a good moral teacher? Is he just a first century rabbi worthy of emulation? Is he just a good example? One of my favorite quotes, and I quote it often, and if you're tired of me quoting it, plug your ears. My favorite quote from C.S. Lewis. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim about God. This is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with the man who says that he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus has laid on the line his identity He's explained to us who he is. The question is, are you living like Jesus is your Lord, your God? Last thought. Open your eyes. Open your eyes this morning, Gospel Community Church. Open your eyes. See Jesus for who he is and be set free. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text, this text that shows us that you are not merely or only the son of David. As blind Bartimaeus cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. You are not merely a descendant, but you're more. You're more. You're God. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are God, and so we call out to you because you hear us when we pray. God, I thank you that you have done all that you have done to reveal yourself to us. God, continue to reveal yourself to us for the broken and the hurting in the room. Reveal yourself to us. Show us your true identity for the hard-hearted and the prideful in the room. Show us your true identity for the lowly. Show us your true identity Lord, for the confused in the room this morning, continue to reveal yourself. We need to see more of you. We want to see more of you, God. Show us yourself. Show us throughout the rest of this week. We ask and beg these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.